Every time I see that video about the Kim Yal, I get choked up. <laughs> it is so moving. And as of one year ago, the Kim Yal people of Papua, Indonesia are today reading these words in their own language. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him. Yet the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen His glory. Glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God the only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Just as the Kim Yaw were profoundly changed when they could see and hear and touch the written Word of God, that written Word of God that earlier they only gained by scraps and bits of the Word of God that was conveyed to them, sometimes orally or, or just in excerpts or reported from others. Just as they were changed by that Word and now the Word that has come, Jesus is the Word of God in every language. Jesus, as John so profoundly reveals here in these opening verses, verses 1 through 18 of his gospel. Jesus, to put it in my own words, is the face of God. In Jesus, you can 
see God. In Jesus, you can hear God. In Jesus, you can touch God. This is a powerful, powerful truth. It may seem comfortably familiar to us. But when John's Gospel was communicated, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Luke, when the Gospel went forth, this was the message that God who towers above us, who is transcendent, who we try to touch through His creation, who we try to fathom through the majesty and glory of that which is around us. This God has become flesh and dwelt among us. And as the final verse and the very last word of the 18th verse, the rounding out of this beautiful lyrical, poetic presentation of Jesus Christ. That last word, He has made Him known. Are you looking for God today? I think in our world there are those who look past Jesus. Past Jesus He who is the face, the voice, the very touch of God, He has made Him known. He who became flesh and dwelt among us. They look past Jesus because God is not supposed to be so human, so accessible, so available, so understandable. And yet that's exactly what we long for and we hope for and what we desire. What are we to see that is God and God alone and seen in Jesus and Jesus alone? There's so much here in these these opening words of the Gospel of, of John. John takes us to a high mountain. It's a mountain that the precipice, the summit of it, it just eclipses heaven and earth. And from there, we have a vista. We have a view that is omniscient. And John wants us to see Jesus so human as the very embodiment, the very incarnation, the very presence of God, the very face of God. In Him, we see Him and we hear Him and we touch Him. And John draws upon a word We encounter it right here in the first verse. In the beginning was the Word. That's a good translation. But it doesn't help us to understand how how profound in the culture of the Jews, in the culture of the Greeks, in the hemispheres of people on earth at that time, to open John's Gospel or to hear, in the beginning was the Word. The Word 
which is a translation of the Greek word logos, was a rich and deep word that gave people a starting point. Just like the word heart or the word love. These are words that we find in every segment of society. We, we, we find them used in church and we find them used on the playground. We, we find them in the loftiest sense and the meagrest. John chooses this word logos which has a rich history and philosophy and Greek speculation. A word that in Jewish thought is used of the very Word of God. And he begins there. And he takes this broadest range of people who have some sense of the Word and he brings it narrower with greater and greater focus until we come to verse 14. The Word became flesh. He who was in the beginning, that is, uncreated and already was. He who was with God. Intimacy beyond our imagination and understanding in a realm that lies beyond our experience. This Word was God. And if there was any reservation, His credentials are laid out in verses 2 and 3. Everything that was created, seen and unseen, everything was created through Him. And without Him was nothing that exists. And then we read that in Him, in the Logos, in the Word, is life. Resident in Him is life itself, the very source of life. My kids are in their late 20s now, but I remember so vividly their birth. And when I, try, when I thought about life, and then to think about the source of life, I, I think of witnessing birth. There is, a, there is a majesty. There is a wonder. There is an awe associated. I mean, for me, that... That birthing room was a religious experience. Life with a capital L had been emblazoned on my heart when I took that child into my arms and was given the chance to cut its umbilical cord. It was life. You know, if you're looking for a poetic way to somehow inspire us to grasp life. You think of a birth. Any birth. It transports you beyond life. Ah, i got to get up and go to work. Life. Another day, another dollar. Life. When's this going to end? Life. You know? We get at it through birth. But we also get at it, I thought also this week, as just thinking about life. You know, there's an element of it when you watch something like we watched this morning. That actually happened just last March. Those people today are worshiping the Lord. 
with their own Bibles. When I think of life, I also think as I... I can almost uh, imagine, you know, how many years and may have left if I live to the outer expectation of life. And you know what I think of? I think sometimes as it's portrayed in books and movies, and it seems more prevalent. There's a loss of hope. There's Somehow the movies and the stories that we think are most profound are, are those that, that talk about life in its, in its poorest and meanest senses. And we think about people who are at the end of life and they're full of regret. And their lives and the very notion of life is defined by sadness and a desire to have another chance. And it's like those people provide us with a window to value life with a capital L. Because they want more of it. They want something that has slipped through their fingers, escaped them that they've somehow squandered or spent without realizing how precious it is. He is that life. Whether it's birth or it's in view of death that we value that life. He is that life. The creative power, the very force, the very spring and source of life. John says, the Word in the beginning. Not beginning in the beginning, but was in the beginning. He who was with God and was God, He is the source of life and the light of men. I think light of men should be hyphenated. Almost as though He's a title. The light of men. Light. We take light for granted. They, in ancient times, built their lives around light. It was a necessary ingredient to daily life, to all that was good, to all that was successful, to all that they aspired for. It took place in the light. The sun came up. The stars came out. The sun and the moon were the parameters of life. In all of its industry and aspiration and hope and value. Light became synonymous with revelation, with insight, with knowledge itself. Jesus is that light, that thing you yearn for, that thing you search for, that which is round the corner, that isn't within your grasp, that you think will satisfy you. Jesus is that light. Darkness has not overcome it. John tells us in verse 18, This Word associated with God. Life. Light. John's ringing every bell in the belfry. He's trying to touch every person and saying, come closer. Come closer and see Jesus. For in Him you see God. In Him you touch God. In Him you hear God. And he says something very astounding in verse 14. He became flesh. Flesh. 
flesh, associated with weakness, associated with things very ungodly, things far from God, close to us, but far from God. The logos, God become flesh, but yet such a profound way to stress in its reality the humanity, the presence of God in Jesus. He dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. And in verse 18, John says, we have never, no one has ever seen God. These three pictures I want to have us look at a little bit more closely, very briefly, dwelt. We beheld His glory. No one has ever, ever seen God except the only begotten Son. He has made Him known. This is a theme that John, I think, uses to grip us with the reality of God in Jesus Christ. And in particular, one theme which has to do with the glory of God in Jesus. Let's take the first kind of word picture that John gives us, this word dwelt. This gospel is written in Greek. In Greek, the word behind dwelt, we can translate pitch a tent. It's a really regular word. Uh, troops on the march, when they settled down for the night, they would pitch their tents. Paul, in another sense, when he talks about death, he says, I'm going to break camp. You know, I'm going I'm to break down my tent. But in that the Word, which has become flesh and dwelt among us, because this Word is associated with God, we're not talking about troops or armies or people camping. We're talking about something quite significant. When God, the Word, became flesh and dwelt or pitched His tent. What tent do you know about in Scripture? What tent do you know about in the history of God's dealing with His people? He once pitched a tent. They call it the tabernacle. And what John is saying is that Jesus is the very tabernacle of God in our midst. God is dwelling among us in Jesus Christ. And then it says, we beheld His glory. That used to baffle me. Because glory is, is one of those million dollar words that are so slippery. You just never can get your head around it. Glory. I mean, we know it's towering, it's majestic, it's glorious. You think when you would be in the presence of the glory of God that you would try to blend into the floor. You would be so flat on your face in humility before Him and His power and His might. All the flippancy with which we deal with God in our daily lives would melt away. That kind of glory. I'm wondering, how did they behold it? In Jesus Christ. 
I think of the medieval painters and the halos. Those were an indication of God's glory. Is that what they beheld? That crossed my mind. That Jesus had an aura? That brings us to this second word picture. Already with the word tabernacle, we, we draw near to God's dealing with His people. Moses is mentioned in verse 17. Did you catch that? The law was given by Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Back up to verse 16. Look at verse 16. We all have received from His fullness. Now just kind of mark those in your thoughts. Grace and truth and fullness associated with Jesus Christ in contrast with Moses. If there's anybody that was close to God, had a unique and special relationship with God, it was Moses. Back in the book of Exodus, chapter 33, verse 18, and in this context, Moses is talking with God at the tent of meeting before the tabernacle was built. There was a tent where Moses himself exclusively... I mean, I know that I would wish that I could go to the tent of meeting and have a personal audience with God himself. That's what we yearn for. We want to have God's exclusive attention. We want to know that we have a place in His heart. We want to know that He sees us and hears us and cares for us. Moses had that kind of relationship, and he mediated. That is, he was a representative. He went for you and for me. It was as though Moses said, look, I'm going to represent our concerns to Him because I have found favor. You as His people have found favor in His sight. God's going to call Moses up to a high mountain where He's going to give him the law. And in preparation for this, at the tent of meeting, God and Moses have a conversation. And Moses says, since I've found favor in your sight, and since these are your people, verse 18, he says, show me thy glory. This is a very special privilege that he requests. And he trod so carefully before, you know, it's kind of like feeding your husband dinner first. My mom always said, wait until after dinner. Moses is preparing in hopes that the Lord will grant him this favor. And God answers in verse 19, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Now that's a clue. Let me behold thy glory. I'll pass all my goodness before you. We're, you know, we're thinking of what we can see with our eyes. Impress us, God. And what does God count as His glory? What is impressive? 
what is essential to who He is, His majesty and His greatness, but His goodness. And in verse 22, He says to Moses, while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to shelter you from my presence because I'm holy. And my glory will pass by and you'll be allowed to witness my glory. And in the cleft of the rock, the safety thereof, Moses has been placed. He has already brought the tablets. This is in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. And this is what we read as His glory passes by. And the Lord, but it doesn't say glory. It says the Lord, Yahweh, that is God Himself, passes by before Him and proclaims the Lord, the Lord God. Why? Titles? Announcing His presence? No, what He wants us to understand is God's glory is His essential nature and presence. And how is that defined and presented? He tells us, merciful and gracious. Long-suffering and abundant in loving kindness and truth. Now you might have missed it. But as God parades the qualities of His goodness, who He is, the the uptick, the, the crescendo, the finale is loving kindness and truth. Sometimes translated loyal love, chesed in Hebrew, and truth or constancy, faithfulness, emet. These two words are found in tandem, kind of joined by hands, as it were, in usage in Isaiah and the Psalms very frequently to describe God. Describe Him to give hope, to give assurance in times when we're heartbroken or we can't wait any longer, that we desire God's deliverance. We need Him to act. We need Him to be faithful. And God is, we are reminded, full of, abounding in, abundant in, loving kindness and truth. Now here, I hope you've already are ahead of me, like my wife when we watch television. She always explains the plot before it's even unfolded. Then she looks at me for acknowledgement and recognition of her deep wisdom. But notice those words, abounding in loving kindness and truth. Those are the very words that are used of Jesus in verse 14. Different language, but equivalent in translation. Full of, what is full of? Abounding, abundant in. Grace. What is grace? Loving kindness. Loyal love. And truth. We beheld His glory. Who beheld His glory? Moses. In His essential character. To put it real plainly, He revealed His heart to Moses and to His people. 
and to you and to me. And in Jesus Christ, we behold the very heart of God. We behold His glory. We're looking for smoke and spitting fire. We're looking at light so brilliant that it blinds us and drops us to our knees because we've never been in the presence of anything so glorious and majestic and powerful. But that's not God. That's not what He wants to show us. Oh, He who put the planets in space and created all things, He has that kind of power. That's the kind of power and glory we want. But that's not what God wants us to see. We beheld His glory, glory as the one and only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then verse 16, we all have received from His what? Fullness. His abundance. His overflowing nature of love and grace. Grace upon grace, without end. Inexhaustible. And then what does he say? Moses gave the law. What is behind the law? What inspires the law? We don't like the law when we're lawbreakers, but boy, if we're on the victim side of the law, we love the law. Come law! Stand up for me law! Defend me law! Be there for me, law. Give me justice. Give me goodness. Give me wholeness. And that which actually inspires the law that is given to Moses, John tells us in verse 17, we have received in Jesus Christ. He repeats it, full of grace and truth. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth has come in Jesus Christ. We expect Jesus to bear the unique stamp of the Father, but the vital resemblance is the glory of God, which is resident, which is here in Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. This is the high point. And John says, now you have in Jesus Christ. He has made Him known. And thus, in Jesus you have the face of God. You hear Him. You see Him. You touch Him. But above all, God wants to touch you. This, these 18 verses are set off from the rest of the Gospel. Like I said, it's like John takes the reader first to a high mountaintop to have a, a transfiguration experience before we begin to read this Gospel. And it continues to come to our minds and hearts as we read through the Gospel of John about Jesus because it's like we know who He really is. It's a, a literary masterpiece and it uses what's called chiasm, which comes from the Greek letter that looks like an English X. And the idea is that at the very vortex, that this begins at verse 1 and it goes all the way down to verse 12. And then, verse 13 and following actually start to mirror things that you'd heard in the first 11 verses. The the vortex, if you will, the crossroads of this chiasm in 
verses 1 through 18 are the verses 11, 12, and 13. He came into his own. His own did not know him. They did not receive him. But to as many as received him, to those who believed on his name, he gave authority to become children of God. That's what God wants in Jesus Christ. He wants children. Children that are drawn and transformed and changed by the very glory of God. The very glory of God. And what is His glory? I hope you'll never forget this. His glory is summed up in Exodus 34.6 and again in John chapter 1. Verse 14 and verse 17. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. These are things that we look for. Men and women actually yearn for these things, these qualities in a spouse. Someone who, you know, grace and truth, those may sound like big religious terms. Loving kindness. Someone who's faithful. Someone who's honest. Someone who's fair. Someone who's loving. Someone who's forgiving. Someone who looked beyond a fault. Read 1 Corinthians 13 and think of the loving kindness of God. And you'll see it in human terms. I want that. I need that when I stumble, when I make mistakes, when I have bad thoughts, when I say things that I wish I could take back, when I wish that somehow I could apologize enough to repair some kind of a broken relationship because of something stupid I did. When I could gain back life that I've squandered and wasted. I hope I'm touching a nerve for you because I think these are the things that are at the very heart of who we are and what we want out of life. And God wants us to have this in Him. He is these things. And we can know through the very incarnation of Jesus Christ that this is the, the thing, if you will, bad use of diction there. <laughs> this is the very heart of God that He wants to touch ours and transform us through Jesus Christ. This glory is why John in his Gospel emphasizes, and this is brought out through the words that Jesus has uttered, that the cross of Jesus Christ, that ignoble, ugly, shameful, punishing and bitter death of crucifixion, displays the glory of God. In the cross, Jesus glorifies the Father. How does that happen? Well, when loving kindness and truth are at the heart of your very being and heartbeat, and you send your Son, as we're told in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever, that means no one is excluded, whoever, believes on His name, shall not perish, but have eternal life. Life in all of its fullness. Life as it was invested in the creation by Jesus Christ when He put it all together. When I was a kid, and have you all seen The Wizard of Oz, the movie? 1939, black and white. When I was a kid, we used to watch it every year. It was a big deal. We'd get hamburgers and gather around the TV. One of the highlights of my year to watch The Wizard of Oz. Never saw it in color for many, many years. Never knew it was in color. We just had a little black and white TV. 
And there was Dorothy. I was just fascinated by all the characters and certainly by the straw man, the tin man, the lion, a brain. He wanted a brain. He wanted a heart. He wanted courage. Dorothy wanted to go home. And they were on a quest because the only way that they could get the things that were fundamental and and in those things to go home. To have a brain. That sounds funny, doesn't it? But some of us would really like to have a brain. (laughs) To have a heart. To have courage. There was only one way that they could have those heart's desires fulfilled, and that was to go to Oz and the wizard. Perhaps he could grant them. And they're on a quest that leads them through many dangers, toils, and snares. I can see that emerald city above the rolling hills covered with wild flowers as they pursue the yellow brick road. And even when they get there, they're spurned. Who are you? You're nobody. What, you, ha, what, a, what a laughable idea that you should get an audience with the Wizard of Oz. His loftiness. But as you know, they do get such an audience. A long shot. The lotto. And they're making their way down that majestic, mysterious, and even frightening corridor because at the end waits the very presence of the Wizard of Oz. And they are fumbling and slobbering in fear. Some of them keep wanting to turn around and go back. That this is a crazy idea. And when they enter His presence, there's the wizard in all of His lofty and towering majesty and just bloating with smoke and spitting fire. And His voice is like thunder right within the room. And they're, they're, they're almost like their legs are rubber and they fall to the ground. They're, they're just frightened to death. And He shames them. Who are you? That you should enter my presence. And he refuses them. And they are downcast and without hope. And little Toto. this scroungy little terrier pulls back on this curtain and there is this man from Missouri. And he's going on with the whole charade until he realizes that he's been found out. He's living a charade himself. And you know, as I've grown and now I view The Wizard of Oz, the movie, in such a different set of eyes, I see that the book's intended to kind of say to me, John, your God is a fake. Your God is the projection, the the construction, the creation of 
of a charlatan. Just like the man pulling the strings between the visit, behind the visage of the Wizard of Oz. And all that glory behind it lies just a con man who at best, as you know the story, can point you back to what you already have within you to find courage, a heart, a brain. And fortunately, he has a hot air balloon so he can take Dorothy home. But in the Gospel, which is good news, the curtain is drawn back. And behind the glory of God is Jesus Christ. He's not a charlatan. He's not from Missouri. He's from God Himself. He is God in the flesh, dwelt among us, full of grace and truth, the glory of God. Today, you and I need to once again place on the altar of our hearts the importance of pursuing the glory which God wants to touch us, wants to transform us, wants to actually become part of our character in this world. Because we have been touched. We have heard the voice. We have seen the face of God in Jesus Christ. This has been a production of Grace Community Church of Visalia. For more information, go to our website at www.gccvisalia.org or for more sermons, go to gccvisalia.org slash podcast.